Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to the Ubuntu podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ubuntu podcast. This is our, I think our fourth, our fifth episode. So thank you everyone for tuning in yet again to be a part of this community. My name is David and um, I want to introduce my co-hosts who are also extremely happy that you tuned in. So who else we got on the mic? Hey, what's up y'all? This is Dow. How y'all doing? Welcome. What's up guys? This is Hanok. Excited to be here again. We are all excited. And before we start this program, we do want to recognize um, that we are in very challenging and uncertain times um, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And as members of the Ubuntu podcast, Dow Hanok and myself all recognize the need now more than ever to be empathetic, but also to exercise wisdom and compassion. You know, we're not experts, so we're making sure to adhere to the advice of health professionals, such as the CDC, right? Um, and so in the theme of Ubuntu, let's continue to all demonstrate what is compassion and understanding to our friends, family, and community at large, particularly in solidarity with those in the diaspora who will be most um, impacted if this thing continues to proliferate in the way it is. So we just want to share that and hope and love and use our voice to speak to that. But enough of that, you know, we are going to get into some good conversation. Um, We're going to start off this episode in Ubuntu fashion meaning we're going to give you Africa in the news, your one-stop shop to learning about what's happening in the world as it relates to Africa as the continent and also African people across the diaspora. And so none other than Hinnock will be doing our Africa in the news segment this episode. So Hinnock, take it away. Yeah, thanks so much, David. And um, thank you for that great intro. I just also want to say thank you to Dow as well for his previous Africa in the News segment, where he actually reported on the last patient with Ebola that was discharged from a clinic in the DRC. Yeah, that was good. So we're hopeful. Yeah, we're hopeful that this story marks the end of a public health outbreak that really destroyed the lives of so many on the continent. Now, Dow, you also mentioned the COVID-19 outbreak. And since our last episode, things have unfortunately escalated. So we're going to talk a bit more about COVID-19 today, and more so we're going to focus on the responses from African countries and the challenges that lay ahead. Now, compared to the rest of the world, Africa has actually had a smaller number of cases. An estimated 640 cases have been reported across the continent. The important word here, however, is reported. A lack of testing raises the concern that there are many more cases that we're just unaware of. Governments, however, are really taking measures to combat the spread. In South Africa, President Cyril Ramaphosa actually declared a national disaster. In particular, he imposed strict travel restrictions, he shut down all schools with immediate effect, and he also banned all public gatherings of more than 100 people. Ethiopia actually took a really creative approach. The telecom service provider, Ethio Telecom, actually lists precautions on COVID-19 whenever you make a phone call. So what are some of the challenges that Africa faces when dealing with COVID-19? One of them is actually economic. BBC Africa recently reported that Africa actually trades more with the rest of the world than on the continent itself. So all these trading partners around the world are now hit by COVID-19, which means that the demand for products will decrease. China in particular is Africa's biggest trading partner, and a Chinese economic downfall means that African traders can't actually travel to China, and they're also not able to actually get the stock they need. 
In addition, a pause in production in China means that the demand for African commodities will decrease as well. Mm. If we look at Europe as well, Europe has been hit really hard by COVID-19. And so the European demand for products will likely decrease as well. Some countries will be hit by this really hard. Looking at Nigeria in particular, Nigeria actually sells more than one third of its oil to Europe. That's an estimated 13 billion dollars. We can even look at the tourism industry where that's a vital part of many African economies. Flight restrictions mean that less people will travel to Africa, which means that there's no business in the tourism in the tourism sector, which means that that industry will be hit really hard. Now, these challenges aren't just economic, but there's also concern that citizens in Africa will not have adequate access to information. Access to information, immediate and timely information will be really important with the public res- health response on the continent. We're seeing across the continent that governments have previously imposed restrictions on internet and um, telephone services for political purposes, that can have a negative effect in citizens being able to actually access information on how to combat the spread of corona or otherwise known as COVID-19. We're also seeing misinformation and disinformation spread rampantly across the continent and around the world. To break that down a bit, misinformation is involves falsehoods that are as a result of errors and mistakes. So they're unintentional. And then disinformation are unintentional. They're in, I'm sorry, they're intentional falsehoods mm-hmm. by design. Wow. And so both can have really harmful effects. And that's why it's crucial that those in the continent and across the diaspora not only have access to information, but are able to verify the sources that we come across. So when it comes to verified sources and sources that we can trust, what are some resources that we can look into? I'm not a health expert myself, but one resource that I'm relying on is the World Health Organization, otherwise known as the WHO. I have a couple of statements here from leaders in the WHO on the virus itself. The Director General, Tedros, Dr. Tedros Adhanom, explains that Africa needs to actually wake up. He explains that in other countries, the virus actually accelerated after a certain tipping point. And so this is a reminder for African leaders and societies to remain vigilant and to not be deceived by the, the small amount of cases that we have right now on the continent. There's also another important message that went viral from the head of the health emergencies program. His name is Dr. Michael Ryan. He explains the lessons that he learned while dealing with the Ebola outbreak. And he explains that in order to actually combat a virus, an outbreak so rampant, you need to actually go after the virus and to stop the chains of transmission. That comes from accepting, get, gaining acceptance from the community, which means that you need to engage with communities very deeply. Right. He also explains that when it comes to emergency response, you need to act quickly and not be afraid to fail. And when it comes to these kinds of situations, speed trumps perfection and that the greatest error is to not move. So in to sum it all up, the main thing that I think we want to go into here is to just relay what we believe to be important news and information on how African communities, whether it's on the continent and on the diaspora, how they can stay vigilant. And so all the sources mentioned in this segment are listed in our episode description. We want to thank you all for tuning into this segment of Africa in the News. Wow. Exactly. Very informative. So, yes, Mm -hmm. everyone, please check out those links. We want to make sure that we're staying educated um, and doing that hard work of staying on top of what we need to know so that we can survive and thrive. Exactly. Good job, Hanok. Really good job. So we're actually going to shift the convo now. Here at the Ubuntu podcast, we want to extend our vision in serving as a bridge between the diaspora. So you've heard from Dow, David, and myself for our past few episodes, but now we want to take the opportunity to share the mic and hear from others. So with that being said, I'm really excited to have two very special guests on here today. I'm here with Mercy Ariawarian and Idara Ikafia. On a personal note, I've known Mercy and Yadara for over two years now. We actually volunteer together with the nonprofit Heritage Africa, which you'll hear a bit more on later. Today, you'll get to know a bit more about Mercy and Idara, 
the work they do along with their unique perspectives on what it means to be African women and members of the diaspora. Mercy and Yadara are both great leaders and just great people overall. So we want to welcome you both onto the podcast and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Ooh, welcome. Thank you for having us. <laughs> for sure. So let's start off with brief intros for you both. Can you both tell us your name, a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing impacting Africa and the diaspora? And how did you get connected to the Ubuntu podcast? So we can start with okay. you, Okay. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Mercy Ariawarian, and I am a first-generation Nigerian. Um, I am someone who's really passionate about, and I'm going to steal the words of our um, not-less leader, uh, and keeping Africa great and making a difference. Those are the things I'm passionate about. Um, uh, what was the second part of your question? Now I completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, uh, can you tell us about what you're currently doing impacting Thank Africa you. and the diaspora? Um, so I think I can, I guess I can gauge, say, a lot of the work that I'm doing impacting Africa has to do is in twofold. So in part, as I've been a part of community organizations for all of my life. And so oftentimes that when I was growing up, that meant I did a lot of um, community work, whether it was like medical outreach on the continent, um, in places like Togo, Nigeria, um, uh, Uganda. And that has been one way in which I've made, I've tried to make a difference on the continent. Right now, as um, ED of Heritage Africa, my goal and my commitment is to ensure and to empower um, and inspire Africans with to use their talents and their skills to make a difference in a variety of ways. Um, and I don't know if you want me to go into heritage, but we can do that perhaps at another time. But that's my main goal. Awesome. Thank you, Mercy. We'll go more into heritage a little bit later on for sure. Um, how about you, Idara? Um, well, my name is Idara Kafia and... Um a little bit about me, like uh, kind of like what Mercy was sharing. Um, incredibly passionate about Africa, the continent as a whole. Um, first generation Nigerian uh, American, born and raised here in the U.S., um, but definitely connected to um, country and furthermore to the continent. And then what I'm currently doing to impact Africa and the diaspora is definitely the work that we're doing um, in Heritage Africa, which we'll um, get into a little bit more as you guys already talked about, but um, just lending my operational (laughs) skills to the organization, um, like helping us push our goals, like in terms of bridging the gap between the diaspora and the continent with different things that people are doing, um, highlighting that and just providing a space for people to to network and come together. So, yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. For, thank you guys for those response. Uh, just to go into our next question, uh, can you briefly share about your own upbringings? Like where did you grow up and under what circumstances? Uh, what about your upbringing prepared you for where you are now? Okay, I guess I can start. Um, so my upbringing, I was born in Nigeria, Nigeria original, if you want to call it that. <laughs> and uh, um, I think for me, one of, the, one of the interesting things about my upbringing was I never really doubted my African identity. And um, for a very long time, and I still do, uh, I always identify as 
an African. And in a way that shaped my perspective and my outlook in on how I saw the world. It shaped um, the experiences I had. It shaped the, the thing that I wanted to do with my life. Um, I grew up in a house, in a family where my parents were very, they were, I want to say they were part-time missionaries. And so they were very, um, uh, eager and committed to caring for other people in different ways. Um, parents who are generous in terms of always giving back to family, as I think many African parents are always either sending money home, sending people who are your, I want to say, our cousins, quote unquote, to school and things like that. So having those examples and that example of always making a difference in your community shaped my outlook about the person that I wanted to be and the way that I wanted to live my life. Um, so I grew up in the States. I was born and raised in Chicago. And um, I I definitely like always identified as being Nigerian. Um, more so, I think, than African, like initially. Um, obviously, I knew that Nigeria was in Africa, but because there's a, such a huge Nigerian community in um, in Chicago and just being raised around that, um, I think like I've always just identified as Nigerian. Like it wasn't until I, I moved um, abroad that I had to identify as American first, just because people knew that like my accent was different or whatnot. Um, but I've always kind of self-identified as being, um, being Nigerian and being a Nigerian woman. Um, and then as I got older, I think just like being exposed to just a variety of, um, Africans in like around Chicago, it's like really diverse, um, in terms of the African community, um, just kind of placing myself in that like African woman kind of, um, space. I think the first time for me anyway, I think the first time that I identified as being African more so than just being Nigerian was definitely when I went to, um, when I went to high school, elementary school. Um, so like from kindergarten until eighth grade, I went to a predominantly white, um, white school. So I, I was really just like the only African or Nigerian like kid, um, besides my siblings, obviously, but going to high school, there were Nigerians, there were Ghanaians, Kenyans, Ethiopians. So like it was, it, it kind of like awoken, you know, the knowledge that there's just, there's more than just Nigeria, you know, and on the continent. And, um, you know, like we're all African, but like we have like very different cultures and, you know, um, I mean, still having that commonality of being African, but understanding that there's like, there's still differences, but even still like it was, um, and then that was like further amplified when I went to college and they had, um, the African Student Association, I joined that and it was just like a wider group, again, of different types of Africans, um, whether you were born there or whether you were raised here. Um, and that really kind of started, I think, like my journey of like knowing that I was part of the diaspora. And it just felt really great to be a part of this community that was still very similar to like my background, but and how I grew up, but still offering like differences in terms of their experiences, like whether they were raised here or um, raised like back in the continent. Thank you. Uh, how about you, Marcy? So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, for me, the 
when I first, I don't know if there's a time I would say where I first sensed that I was African. I do know that when I was younger, because we came as a, as um, we came when I was around eight or nine years old and we had the privilege of remaining connected when I actually think about it. I don't know that many other African families did that. Oftentimes people come and they stay. Um, and then go back home maybe after like 10 years have passed. But we had the privilege of being able to go like every two years. So I I was just very, my identity was always tied to the fact that I was Nigerian. And being able to see the differences in the U.S. and the and Africa, not, not well, I wouldn't say Nigeria, um, just entrenched in me the desire to make the place that I was from as good or better than the place where I currently lived. So for me, being Nigerian, being African has been tied, has been very deeply rooted in me. Um, I'm, and, and as weird as it may sound, has actually even taken a greater place than the notion of being Black, um, in a way, uh, because for me, it was my first identity. Yeah. Wow. Thank you all, uh, Mercy Nidara. So far, these have been really, really great responses. Um, I want to keep the conversation going. And um, as you all might know, um, and this is something we've been telling our listeners, uh, March is Women's History Month. Woohoo to that. <laughs> Y'all need a whole year, okay? <laughs> but we think because of that, it's a great time for the world and specifically Ubuntu as a podcast to really acknowledge the contribution of women in Africa uh, and throughout the diaspora as essential weapons against inequality and instruments of innovation, despite a lot of resistance and adversity um, from different powers. And so being that you both of you are very incredibly powerful women who are changing the world for the better and changing the continent for the better, can you tell us what were some common themes you experienced growing up in your household and maybe other places in your community, maybe like schools, churches, etc., that you learned about girls and women? And I want to know from that, was it adversity or encouragement that really brought you guys, brought you ladies to the place where you are now? Okay, so I really like the the question and um the, there's one thing that comes to mind um one one thing that um i kind of want to mention about just the what why african women are awesome um and that's simply because uh we are we have the ability we carry a lot on our shoulders as african women um our mother our aunts, you don't hear, I don't know of any African family where you have a mom that is just one thing. Um, and so we come from cultures where our mothers are businesswomen, our mothers, you know, are managing their home and they may already also have a day job in addition to being businesswomen. Um, they are essentially like queens of the hustle. And so for me, I think that is a great uh, heritage to have. Um, and that's something that I'm very proud of. Um, for us as African women, because I think a lot of times when you have conversations about womanhood, there has a there's a tendency for the conversation to come from a particular experience um, that doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. Um, and then as to your question, where like where are we? Uh, what's 
what's the phrase, how to phrase it, where, whether we're coming, where their adversity or encouragement brought us to where we are today. And me, I would say my answer to that would be that ultimately purpose is what I want to say. Purpose and maybe opportunities is what brought me to where I am today. Just this, that sense of there is something I want to accomplish with my life, a difference I want to make. And it is it's it is what cons- consistently drives me, especially when I see the examples of the people who have already gone ahead of me. Um, so in a way, I guess it would fall into the, the category of um, encouragement. I, I love, I, I have to say, I love that mercy. Um, and I definitely agree that like just wearing multiple hats is definitely, um, something that I saw growing up, like all my life with my mom, with my aunts and with my cousins. Um, you know, just being able to see them balance so much and still be, and still like walk very proudly, like in their femininity. Like I just, I love seeing that like growing up. And um, for me, I think what's kind of brought me to where I am today is definitely encouragement. Like my my parents, I will say that they believe that I can do anything and everything. <laughs> so just being able to be encouraged by them and never feel that um, because I am a woman that, you know, there's something that I can't do um, has always been really, really helpful. Um, they supported my like crazy ideas and um, pivots in life. And, you know, just being able to have that community has always been just really helpful and really great for me. Yeah. Thank you all for those responses. Just to get into our next question, uh, women often rise to great feats, especially in Africa, by resisting what is to be considered the status quo. What were some of the first lessons you learned uh, from the women's in your lives? Uh, how did these lessons uh, prepare you for who you are now? One of the first lessons I learned, um, I think, like, especially my mom, just because, you know, that was what I felt like on a, like, up close and personal on a daily basis. Um, but what I learned, I think, was, one, like, work ethic. Uh, my mom is crazy hard worker. Um, you know, like, Mercy already mentioned, like, she has, like, her, she has a day job, and, you know, she has her own business, and she's taking care of her family and everything and she does it with like grace, you know? So seeing, um, her work ethic, doing her work, like really, really hard going back to school, um, you know, learning all of the stuff that she has to like to open her own business. Like that was really impactful. Um, and then also integrity, like being able to see that from her and see how she applies that and like walk that out. Like, in all different aspects of her life, like with work, with the business, with her family, with her friends. Um, yeah, I think that those two things from, from my mom especially have been like the most impactful. Yeah, I think I have to echo Idara. Um, definitely, I think one of the things, my mom is a really good example. I think as with many other Uh, people's moms. My mom is someone who's always caring for the needs of the people around her, even um, friends, strangers, and the like. You know, someone is sick, she does what she does best, and she cooks up a storm, provides, you know, for their needs for like a week. Um, You know, she's always serving the people around her. Um, and I think that's something that I learned from her very early on. And even as Idara said, she's also very hardworking. So that whole um, combination of work ethic and 
compassion. I think those are two characteristics that I've, well, yeah, two characteristics that I've gained from, from my mom. Um, I'm trying to think of other women in my lives that I've also seen. You always encounter African with the African women that we look up to. I think if there's one thing I can say I've learned from them is that to follow your passion and to follow it hard. Um, and to just be excellent at it. So those are the things that I've learned. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. I know you guys have already talked about just the women in your life and from a micro level, just the impact that they had. So I want to ask you guys now in terms of just the challenges that are faced by girls and women on the African continent today and in the diaspora, what do you guys believe are some of those contemporary challenges that are being faced now? Um, I can maybe kickstart this one. Um, I think in terms of the challenges to women and girls on the continent, um, I did, I was part of a, where a few years ago, I was part of a team that pulled together a report on women at that time. I think this is for 2015. And the report was titled Poverty is Sex. And the whole idea behind that was that Women on the continent, especially, experience poverty in different men. Um, and it's not to say that men aren't impacted by it, but just that the experience can be heavier um, depending on your gender. And I think one of the challenges right now for women and girls are education is a is a huge factor. Not having access to um, good quality education that will give you a better opportunity to make a difference in your life. Um, and then for me, the other thing that is that always comes to mind, and that's an issue not just for women on the continent, but even I want to say all Black women, is health um, and specifically maternal mortality. And the fact that for some reason that I have not yet figured out, um, Black women experience uh childbirth very differently from from white women and women of other races where there it's the rates of death in pregnancy is a little bit higher for black women um and that may not necessarily seem to be something that affects like your overall life like if you're single or you have no plans to have a child yet it may not be a big deal but the reality that that experience of it it, it, it is a big issue when you the population um, and when you consider the number of people who if you're if you're a mom who dies in childbirth, who's raising your kids, especially on the continent where um, it, we may not have access to all the right resources for someone else to care for your kids. Um, so, yeah, those are for me are things that are really important issues that we have to be thinking about um, and hopefully taking action on and that sometimes concern me when I stop and think about it. Those are some great points there that you mentioned. Um, how about you, Idara? Um, yeah, I definitely have to agree with um, it's mercy um, just in terms of like the, the impacts of not having quality healthcare. I think in, on the continent and even in the diaspora, it's a, it's a huge issue um, that I think a lot of people like aren't aware of. Um, but I think specifically to the continent, um, I definitely have to agree that education is like, is, it, 
is a huge, huge issue. And I think that it's probably the biggest issue just because um, it impacts so much. Um, you know, it impacts like your your overall quality of life, you know, like whether or not you're going, you, you know, you're going to get married at a certain age or how many children you have and, um, you know, like what you're able to do in terms of like your career or um, who you're even able to um, surround yourself by or, or surround yourself with. Um, so I think that education is just like the, the huge, um, it's like the genesis of, of a lot of other issues that, that spring up in, in African girl's life. Uh, thank you all for those responses. Uh, we'll, con- we'll, continue, we'll continue the conversation here. Uh, Mercy and Idara, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Heritage Africa? How was it created and what are some of the key things you want to accomplish through the organization? I'll let our executive director kick us off. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. So uh, Heritage Africa has been around for a, I want to say for about 10 a little over 10 years, but um, has its renaissance, if you will, a few years ago. Um, it was an originally founded by a community organization called African Christian Fellowship that was a faith-based, that is a faith-based organization and that wanted to have a development-focused arm. And so th- they created Heritage Africa as a faith-based organization, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to make a difference on the continent and to impact the development development on the continent. So Heritage is a diaspora international development solutions broker um, and a network of passionate professionals like myself, Enoch and Idara and others that are seeking to make a difference through a wide range of consultancy services. Um, And one of the things that we have, our main areas or main goals that we have um, one would be to promote advocacy by amplifying Africa's issues and making sure they are they are known um, and understood amongst the diaspora, um, but Africans on the continent who are also living this. Um, and we also want to elevate the diaspora story. That is, um, what are what are we doing well? There's a book written by an author, I hope it's the right name I'm thinking of, named Dayo Olopade. I could be wrong. Um, but the name of the book is called Bright Continent. And the whole idea is that they are, we as Africans, we are making a difference in a myriad of ways. But oftentimes, if you are not listening to Fox News, or if you're listening to something like Fox News, if you will, or CNN, you're only hearing negative stories. And so we want to be able to say, this is what the continent is doing. This is what we are doing well. We want to be the author of our own stories. Um, Heritage also wants to be an organization that provides accurate research on any of the issues that we are facing or dealing with as a continent. We also want to inspire the diaspora to action. It's not enough for us to see a problem, but we want to be able to do something about it. And we also want to connect people professionally in dialogue through opportunities to engage, um, to rub minds on issues that really matter and to bring people in front of um, 
uh, experts and our African leaders who have already gone ahead and who've already paved the way um, for us to follow. So in a nutshell, that is who we are and, and who we aspire to be. Beautiful. I knew you were going to kill it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, no, like she's, she's definitely, she said it all. Um, so, you know, that's great. Uh, but, but no, just to echo what you're saying, um, you know, we have, yes, we have uh, a lot of issues on the continent, but I think that we also have just an immense amount of brilliant people. Um, and that's our biggest resource, you know, like just the creativity and the innovation that um, people are are putting out like on a daily basis, like not even just when it comes to uh, to tech or whatnot. You know, I, I think that when people think of, of innovation, they kind of just go straight to technology. But just being really creative with um, just everyday life and trying to implement solutions um like every in for everyday problems, I think we, we see that all the time on the continent. And um, Marcia already said this, but it's it's really about like being able to, to be the owners of our own narrative, right? Um, after the the Bright Continent is a really great book, so if you haven't read it, definitely read it. I read it off of Mercy's recommendation, and it definitely makes you feel very hopeful. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> I definitely think that we need to be in control of our own story and um heritage Africa really to do that by putting it back in our in our hands. Yeah, that is so powerful. Uh thank you all for Thank you both for those really amazing responses. Um, and thank you for the work that you're doing with Heritage Africa um, to making sure that um, the voices and uh, the, the issues, but also the solutions of African people are truly put on display um, and truly celebrated and affirmed. And so thinking about um some of the issues, as you all mentioned, that Africa, that Heritage Africa really seeks to address, kind of taking it back to um, our conversation around gender, girls, women and empowerment, um, thinking about men as allies, you know, like the men you have here on this podcast. Um, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm really curious, where do you all think, what is one area uh, where men are consistently failing to show up for African women and girls? And then what should we do about that? I, I, think, the, I, I think the biggest area, but I think um, in, in your family, if I think like in the family, I think that's where it starts. Um, I think that a lot of culture kind of blocks um, men, I think, from encouraging one their daughters their sisters um you know their girl cousins or even friends to um to really reach you know higher heights um to believe in themselves and believe that they could do more than just what is quote-unquote considered to be um like a woman's place or a woman's work or anything like that but not even just encouraging or believing in, in girls, but I definitely think um, even raising these men to believe in them as well, you know? So I think that's kind of where it starts. You know, like if you, you could have grown up in a house that was maybe like kind of progressive or whatnot and and your your parents like encouraged you to 
um, to go and like fulfill your dreams or any, and, and all that stuff is being, being a woman. Um, but if they're not also, I think encouraging their sons, you know, their nephews, um, their brothers to also be women the same, then it doesn't necessarily help. It doesn't like push it, um, even further, you know? So I think like changing that mentality will help everyone <laughs> um, as we kind of go out to schools and to work, um, you know, just being able to have not only that encouragement from home, but also like teaching boys to be advocates um, in these, in these spaces. Right. So it's not just like, Oh, like, yeah, my sister, I believe in my sister, but you know, your, your girl classmate, you may not like encourage her to, try out for the STEM program or, or something like that. Or, you know, you may not believe that like your, your female coworker can be just as good of a leader as, I don't know, like her male um, predecessor. So, you know, I think it's, it's really about like encouraging both of those sexes as they're growing up um, to, to one, to believe that, you know, that women and, and men can do exactly what they want to do. Yeah. So more about like cultural shifts and how we all even view girls and women like from an inward place. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Awesome. What about you, Mercy? Um, I agree with Idara. Um, I remember. Well, let me first say that I think that we often don't give men a lot of credit. I know my dad always says this thing where he's te- he believes that come Mother's Day, everybody praises the mom. Um, but then on Father's Day, we lecture fathers about how they're bad fathers and what have you. So on the one hand, one of the things that he's taught me is that we have to amplify the good examples that already exist. Um, and fathers and brothers are a good can do that by being an example in and of themselves and by showing their daughters and their sisters examples of what, you know, one, being a good woman is, and two, what a good man is. And I think the other way in which, okay, sorry, let me give an an example. Sorry, let me take a step back. Um, One of the things that my dad would do for me when I was younger, uh, you can't see me on the podcast, <laughs> but I'm quite tall. Um, <laughs> and so the interesting thing is growing up, I hated it. I hated being tall. Uh, and my dad would do this thing where he would always introduce me to tall women um, and always introduce me to women who were successful, like who were working in the field that I was interested in. Um, so like I actually ended up that, I don't know if this is of any interest to you, but I actually ended up meeting this, uh, one of the former, I think she was a former minister of health for one of the states in South Sudan because she was like taller than me. And so my dad was like, oh, look, you can be like her. Um, and what I really love about that is that he basically pointed me to an example to uh, aspire to, to someone who could could be um, like a, someone I could look up to. 
And I think as fathers, men have the ability to do that. As brothers, you can do that for your sister. You can basically point out the best in the woman and encourage her to become that. Um, the other thing is, I think uh, men should be more willing to challenge the status quo, uh, to recognize that masculinity does not mean that you you are... At the, I don't know, this is going to sound somewhat, uh, I don't know if it will be controversial, but masculinity does not necessarily mean that you are on, you must oppress others or be on top of others. Um, you can still be like a man and stand next to a woman who is strong and successful. Um, and I think that having more men who are willing to challenge the status quo or challenge uh, stereotypes that are negative towards women, even in the home and in the workplace, I think that, you know, we can make a difference in that way. Um, and then overall for our society, I think it is just really important for us to point out the men who are making a difference. Otherwise, we, especially as um, Black people, we tend to get this skewed perspective of men that says that all men are, you know, are bad or all men are this or all men are that rather than recognizing that there are some awesome, you know, men out there that we should respect. That's awesome. Can I can I, uh, quickly say if there's anyone who's listening, who thinks um, men not oppressing others is controversial, kindly <laughs> sign off. <laughs> Oppressing was not the word I was thinking though when I actually said that. Um, and I'm, I'm like, so yeah, I don't no know. worries. There, there are some people out there who would think that just because you know a man is is not the one in the kitchen, if a man is in the kitchen, then there's somehow less of a man. No, Google, you will be still be a man. <laughs> like I, I get, I get that oppress, oppressive might seem like a strong word, but. I don't know. I think from a woman's a woman's perspective that that it can kind of be that way sometimes, you know, that man and to show that masculinity you have to kind of be like overbearing maybe mm. in a way. I don't know if that's a better word to say, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no that's definitely legitimate and I I I said that to really affirm that that is that should not be the case because unfortunately there are just so many men that do believe that masculinity is rooted in um like making women and girls um, underneath them. And so uh, I think what you all have said and your examples show that that is quite the opposite. Yeah. And thank you guys for those responses. I think we've touched on a lot of issues um, so far. And from that question, it seems like a lot of the responses centered around family. It talked about how men should set the, should set an example. And a lot of it does circle back to the concept of family and how it all starts from home. So to kind of wrap it all up here at Ubuntu, Given that our mission is to actually bring people, um, African people from all over together, because we believe that we're better together than apart. If you could speak to every single member of the African diaspora across language, geography and borders, what would you guys say? Um, I mean, I, I definitely think that um, a little bit of, of that is like of my response is in your, in your statement, enough, um, that we are better together. Um, I think that the, the idea of one continent um, and all of us coming together to kind of push the continent forward um, is something that can be realized. It's something that can um, come into fruition if we were to 
you know, they kind of put any types of differences aside. I mean, not even put it aside. I mean, it's okay to celebrate, and I think it's great to celebrate those differences. But I think it's um, putting the the idea that the forefront that um, that if we all do come together as one collective and really work to um, push our our continent forward um, in terms of trade and health and education. Um, and just community in general, I think that would be, it's a huge impact. Um, so, so yeah, I think that would, that would be our one statement. We are better together. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And embracing our differences, as you said as well, is just a really important point. How about you, Mercy? So I'm going to make <clears throat> mine a, uh, I'm going to, paraphrase a quote that I think references the title of this podcast quite well. Um, and that is uh, in Zulu. If there's anyone who's Zulu on uh, listening, don't judge me and don't be offended. Uh, I'm not Zulu. Okay, so here it goes. Umuntu ungumuntu ungambantu, which believes that I am a person or a person, rather, is a person through persons, through other people. Um, and my thing is going to be a PSA. I'm going to leave everyone with a PSA in this coronavirus era, especially the people at home on the continent. I beg, please, eh? don't greet your friends. We need you tomorrow. <laughs> okay, we need you tomorrow. We may not like you today, but we need you tomorrow. So please, be safe. <laughs> Practice social distancing. That's my two cents. Oh, fantastic stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we just definitely want to give a very special thank you to both of you, to Mercy and Idara. We will post the episode, we will post the link to Heritage Africa along with the other links from this episode under our episode description. We encourage all of you guys to keep the conversation going. And until next time, this is Hanok. Yes, this is David. Thank you so much, Mercy and Idara. This is Dow. And thank you so much, Mercy and Idara, for this great conversation. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Ubuntu Pod and on Facebook at The Ubuntu Podcast. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. You can listen to us on both Apple and Spotify as well. You can also follow me directly on Instagram at Henny Yilma, H-E-N-I-Y-I-L-M-A. Hey, y'all. It's Dow. Don't forget to follow me on IG. So it's Dow underscore Doldol. Hey, everyone. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at David, J-A-Y, Curtis with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.